once again in James chapter 1. We're going to do some study based on James chapter 1. I'll read the chapter and then I want to discuss the importance of what we call application. What our response should be to this teaching. We're going to read from God in his word, James chapter 1. And I promise by the end of this study, we will have in mind relevant practical applications for our good use to glorify God, to prepare us for heaven, applications we can take out of the building and into life. James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It is my purpose every time I speak and every time I teach a Bible class and write an article for there to be good, clear application. By that I mean we learn Scripture in order to live by Scripture. That connection cannot be broken. We learn Scripture in order to live by Scripture. We take what we learn and we live by it in our lives, often making adjustments and corrections along the way. The personal use of Scripture in my life, in your life, is called application. Briefly, let me explain further that in reading and studying the Bible, any passage in the Bible, what's helpful is to interrogate the text with questions like this. What does it say? What did it mean to them? What does it mean to us today? Is there something here I personally need to attend to? Is there something here I need to do urgently? Is there some teaching here I need to share with people I love? All Bible reading and study must go to application, and the application first must be personal. Here's what I want to do tonight. We've read James chapter 1. I'm going to focus on the section from verse 2 through verse 16, and we're going to consider what to look for in terms of application. James wrote to Christians scattered to various places, struggling to be zealous disciples. What did James say to them that we can use today? Here's how application might be made. Number one, in application there is truth to acknowledge. In application there is truth to acknowledge, and the truth to acknowledge in James 1, verses 2 through 4, is that God can use our difficulties, our struggles, our trials to produce steadfastness to produce patience in our character. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We all go through difficulties. Frustration, pain, disappointment. Our emotions are sometimes strained to the limits. It is likely that with all of us over the past several months, something like this has happened or occurred to us that strains us and creates fear and grief. Most of us have known people who have been ill or who passed away, people close to us. There are many other issues and conflict and perhaps strong personal temptation working against our good spiritual health. If not physical pain, emotional stress or conflict, how can there be any joy in those trials? Well, God speaks to us through James and we are given this truth that God can use our difficulties and trials to strengthen us and produce patience. Now, we apply that by acknowledging that in our minds and remembering that when we go into trials and difficulties. God, through difficulty, can forge good character in us. He can more fully develop us and render us stable and steadfast and growing in times when our first perception is, this is really hard. I've often remarked that getting through one big problem with your faith intact can get you ready for whatever may occur next. And you see it now. You see how faith works now. And you know that whatever is next, that same faith will get you through it. See what we're doing here? We're applying Bible truth. And we apply it first in James 1, 2 through 4 through acknowledging that in our difficulties, God can make us stronger. Number two, in applying James 1, 2 to 16, there are prayers to pray. One is in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. When there are questions or struggles or conflicts in your mind, do you have all the answers immediately? Is that how that works? I don't know anyone who would say yes. When a difficulty or conflict comes up or a question, I immediately have the answer because I've read the Bible. I've been through all the dispensations of Bible history. I've read Psalms and I've memorized some of Proverbs. I've studied the book of Romans several times. I always go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So when any kind of question or conflict or problem comes up, I immediately know the answer. I don't know anybody who would say that. We build on all that knowledge and we attempt to retain all that knowledge, but that doesn't mean that immediately or instantly 
we're going to know the answer to everything. I don't know anyone endowed with wisdom for every puzzle in life, nor anyone with such access to acquired knowledge that they immediately know the answer to all the difficulties that emerge in their experience. I can tell you something here about preachers. I know something about that. Preachers sometimes get calls from people who lay out some complicated problem that has many dimensions and levels of difficulty. And after 15 minutes of describing that problem or that complicated issue, they say, okay, what do I do? And often all the preacher can do is read what the Bible says that in some way pertains to the difficulty they've described. Preachers, because they're preachers, are not people with this great reservoir of knowledge who can immediately give an answer to every difficulty. But there are two words we can always say when we get those calls. Ask God. I've actually said to, pre to people sometimes, I'm just the preacher. Ask God. James chapter 1. This is how we apply the scriptures. Ask God for wisdom. God has something we need. And he says we can ask for help we cannot get anywhere else. Do not expect that when you say amen the next second that answer will drop into your head, but he will work. He will work in your faith and character toward a good resolution. Number three, in James chapter one, there is error to avoid. I'm reading verses six to eight. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The asking is conditioned on faith that is not hindered by doubt. The asking is conditioned on faith that is not hindered by doubt. It says, let him ask in faith. You can ask God, but then James says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. That's the error to avoid. Doubting. Thoughts that constitute doubting in your relationship and prayers to God might sound something like this. You know, I've tried everything else. Maybe God cares. Maybe, maybe he cares. Maybe he does. I don't know. Maybe God has the answer, but it could be my answer is better. See, that's vacillating, double-minded, weak faith, doubting. It will not get the job done in prayer. So there is an error to avoid in asking God for wisdom. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. What we're doing is we are taking James 1 and we're making application of it to life. Truth to acknowledge. God can use our difficulties to produce patience and forge good character in us. Prayers to pray. Ask God for wisdom. 
You can call the preacher if you want to. He's probably going to say, I'm just a preacher. Ask God. The error to avoid in all this is no doubting. We're making application of James chapter 1. There's an attitude to adopt. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat. We know what that is. The sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I want to talk to you about what can be called well-directed boasting. Generally, we might think that all boasting is ruled out in the Bible. Never boast about anything. We may think that that's all there is to say about boasting. Don't do it. But here is an imperative. Let the lowly brother boast, but in what? His exaltation. That by living in Christ, no matter how lowly his earthly circumstance is, he is exalted. He was taken out of sin when he obeyed the gospel, placed in God's family, on his way to heaven, and as growth and discipleship takes place, while the man is poor and lowly here under the sun, he is exalted by living in Christ. What about the rich? While there may be some temptation for the rich to boast in their wealth, their standing, their high position. James says, let them boast in their humiliation. Their brevity, like a flower of the grass, they will pass away. In other words, your attitude should not be founded on your circumstance or your bank account, but the reality that God has revealed to you, whether high or low. We're applying Bible truth in James chapter 1. There's temptation to resist in verses 12 to 16. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Blaming can be your downfall. Blaming can be your downfall. Blaming others for your irresponsibility. Blaming others for your sin. Blaming others can take us down destructive pathways. Here's the most serious form of blaming. To be tempted to sin and then in that temptation to blame God. Redirecting guilt or cause 
outside of yourself, not just to somebody else, but to God. James says, that's a temptation we need to be very disciplined to resist. James says, don't go there, don't think that way, because God has never enticed anyone to sin. It is against the pure nature of God to legislate against sin and then try to entrap someone to sin. James says, resist that thought. So, as you read the Bible, whether it's in James 1, 2 to 16, or in Romans 5, or in Acts 15, or in 1 and 2 Timothy, or in Proverbs and Psalms, what did it mean for them? And then prayerfully consider what's in that passage, on that page, for me now. We've tried to illustrate that, talking about what to look for in James chapter 1. Truth to acknowledge. God can use difficulties in our lives to produce and forge good character. We have prayers to pray, ask God for wisdom. But there's an error to avoid, no doubting. There's an attitude to adopt, well-directed boasting, and a temptation to resist. Don't blame God. What are we doing? We're letting God's Word admonish and correct us in very specific ways to bring us closer to Him, to become more effective, more involved as disciples, to build up the church, to bring rich blessings into our families. Scripture calls for us not only to be hearers, but to be doers. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Let's be standing as we sing.